to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to resiliency, business continuity, disaster planning, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, as always, if there's something you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free, send me an email. You can do so by going to the Voice America webpage for the show, and there is a button that says uh, something to the effect of uh, send a host a note. I do get all emails, and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about the subject. Same thing with advertising. If you'd like to promote a product or service related to uh, business continuity or disaster planning, um, you can contact me the same way. Uh, we do have some uh, sponsorship uh, opportunities available. Um, there is the potential that I may be at the Continuity Insights Conference in San Antonio, Texas in April 2020. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I'll keep you uh, up to date on that if we're doing a broadcast or uh, just speaking there or uh, just attending. And today's show is brought to us by the people at Boast Assessment, that's B-O-A-S-T, assessment.com, who have a uh, tool you can use to help uh, monitor your program status, you know, risk analyses, BIAs, resources, your tests, and uh, let you know where you stand and where you can uh, focus your attention. Now that the announcements are out of their way, Long-time listeners, or even uh, if you've heard uh, only a couple of shows, you will know that I'm an avid reader. I do like to read for entertainment and education purposes, and today is one of the education purposes, though the book is entertaining. I would li- uh, The title of the book is The Power of Resilience, How the Best Companies Manage the Unexpected. Now, how could you not have a, a title like that on a show called Prepare for the Unexpected? So today, I'd like to welcome to the show, Professor Yossi Sheffi. Professor, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. I'm glad to have you here, and congratulations on the book. I, I, I know you've got a couple of books, so but this one specifically, congratulations. Thank you. Now, uh, before we get started on the book, uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a professor of engineering at MIT. I'm the head of the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. And I have several books, but this is my second book on the subject. The first, uh, the first was, uh, was called The Resilient Enterprise. And this is uh, The Power of Resilience. Yeah, I, do, I actually have your other book, too, because when I got this one, I went, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> I went looking for my connection and I went, hey, I have the other one. <laughs> good, good, good. So uh, let's jump in with one of the main questions that people have these days. How do you define resiliency and what isn't resilience? Okay, the concept of resilience or the word is actually taken from material science. In material science, resilience is defined as the ability of a metal or other material to retain its former shape after deformation. When we talk about business resilience, we're talking about the ability of a organization, a corporation, government, community to get back to the pre-disruption um, 
level of performance, being it the production, service, whatever, and how fast it can get there. So this is what usually we mean by resilience, the ability to bounce, to bounce back. So what isn't resilience? Because, you know, if you talk to many people, they've all got different definitions, you know, of, you know, this is what resiliency means, you know, and if you buy this product, you'll be resilient. So in your view, what isn't resilience? Okay. It, it may be that it's not that people are not right, but they're looking at different aspects of this. For example, a lot of people are talking about a personal resilience, you know, take some, I don't know, Zoloft or some other drugs and become, uh, be able to withstand the unpleasantness uh, of life. When people are, now, usually there are all kind of um, a product on the market. Let's talk now about business resilience because that's really what I'm talking about. There are products on the market that allow for early warning, for example. So, they help you uh, become more resilient because they help you, they give you time to respond, possibly. So it, I'm not sure that there's something that, that the issue is resilient or not resilient is how do people look at it? What aspects are they trying to, uh, uh, to supply? What capability are they trying to uh, enhance? And it can be an early warning. It can be um, more inventory. It can be so inventory management software, early warning software, um, something that uh, allows for working around the globe and around the clock, so people can uh, can respond whenever disaster hits. So it's it's mm-hmm. just the the aspects of disaster that people are looking at. So really, those kind of things that you mentioned, they're tools to help us become resilient, but they're not the answer. Yes. To being resilient, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Resilience has many, many aspects, including cultural and uh, lots of other aspects. That's interesting, you know, because organizations have their own culture. How how does that come into play? Oh, that's a it's a very important aspect uh, of resilience. For example, organizations that uh, allow people at the front line to act quickly without asking for lots of permissions are generally more resilient. Organizations that, for example, you know, on an aircraft carrier, every sailor can stop flight operation if they see something dangerous. And it means that a 19-year-old sailor on the deck with one year of training can stop flight operation of 15 ships and 17,000 sailors and marines. But they are celebrated if they are right and never punish if they are wrong. So just having culture like this, that everybody can uh, can take action, allow for more resilient organization. This is one example. There are many other examples. That that that's an interesting point. I, I like that. You know that um, uh, you know because because. I've been in situations where the simplest task, you have to get so many different permissions, you never exactly. feel like you're actually moving forward. <laughs> and this is, this is deadly in, 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 uh, in, in high-risk organization, by the way, it happens all the time. There's, there's even something else that happens in, high, in high-risk organization, being it control tower when it's, uh, you know, aircraft control tower when it's uh, 
uh, misty and, and rainy and, and not enough visibility or nuclear power plants or chemical plants. When something goes wrong, you suddenly see that employees, if they're in a good culture organization, don't look at the managers, or not at all the managers, they look at those that have experience. So experience okay. trumps rank. Suddenly you see on the control tower, you see the controller, don't look at the FAA manager, but look at the controller who's been there 30 years about what to do next. And organ good organization actually encourages. They understand it and encourages and don't insist on rank when, as they say, when the shooting starts, <laughs> when things go south. Right. So this is another but example of uh, cultural, something in culture that helps uh, help resilience. It has nothing to do with software and methods and process. And, and that's got to take, that must take time to, to get embedded in an organization, right? Because, you know, Absolutely. when someone becomes a director, they, they want to be in charge of everything, you know, as an example. You but know. if they're a good director, they realize that, they, look, let me give another example just to make, uh -huh. to make my point. Uh, in the Marines, when the shooting starts, the, you know, the young Marines would not look for the West Point uh, lieutenant to give instruction, but they look at the so-called gunny sergeant, the guy who is 30 years veteran, who was in all the other battles before, and the, the good officers understand it and promote it and recognize it, and it's fine. That's why the gunny sergeant is there. That's why yeah. you don't usually, uh, in a Marine unit, you'll have at least one person with a lot of experience. Experience, yeah, in many cases, Trump ranks, but the, the trick is not to have them. The trick is to allow it to happen, and good organizations understand and allow it to happen. They, they empower people. <laughs> they empower people, absolutely. Let's move to, to something else that I thought was rather interesting. Um, can you define what you meant uh, by the Anna Karenina principle? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a story, Anna Karenina. He starts, starts the book by saying, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. The idea is, is that every disruption comes with its own litany of misery, its own roster of causes, and its own cascade of effects. Very few are the same. But management of risk, management of, of uh, uh, you know, preparing for, uh, for risk involves certain activities that are generic, like uh, activities that have to do with uh, prevention, like safety, mm -hmm. uh, safety rule, uh, activities that have to do with detection, that's the early detection of what's going on, activities that have to do with the response. So these are generic preparation steps that are true regardless of the fact that each disaster is different, each crisis is different. But that's why I, why I, why I use the, the Tolstoy quote. <laughs> and, and I guess that those, some of those generic principles that you just mentioned, it doesn't matter what kind of industry you're in, would they still apply to a manufacturer, pharmaceutical, banking, that kind of thing? Absolutely, yes. For example, give you some examples of generic responses. Having communications, being able to communicate to everybody when something goes wrong. Most importantly, having a emergency operations center. And it doesn't matter what industry you are. When, when, the, when, when something bad happens, you want to have 
in one room or on one communication system, all the people who have something to do with getting you out of the, uh, of the hole that you are in. So how to identify these people? And these are, now, which people these are depending on uh, uh, more on the industry. So if you have in the uh, automotive industry, for example, you need people in supply chain management and you need engineers because if some of your suppliers cannot supply the part, you need to identify which supplier can and then you have to qualify there. So it's both logistics and engineering. If you have something that has to do with uh, IT, obviously you need your computer scientists, your IT people. Uh, to be. So it, it, it it depends, but the fact that you need a central place that everybody can quickly communicate with each other, communicate with the senior management who then communicate to Wall Street and, uh, and to the customer is something that every company and every industry should have regardless of what industry they're in. Right. So uh, are there any other kind of generic things that maybe organizations can think about? Well, we talked we talk about some of this already, you know, empowering uh-huh. uh, frontline people, get to know the local authorities. Why, you know, it is something as simple as that. Because, for example, let's say your plant catches fire and you don't want to call the, uh, the local fire chief or police chief and try to, or, or if you just suspect something, you don't want to call the, uh, the local police chief and then spend 20 minutes on the phone identifying who you are and making sure that it's not a hoax. You want to make sure that you know each other. And, uh, you know, when you call them, they know that it's you and, and they have trust and they'll, uh, they'll respond immediately. So if it's a, you know, automotive plant, nuclear plant, pharmaceutical plant, uh, railroad that has, you know, right. some problem, who knows? In all cases, getting having relationship with authorities, having relationship with local communities. All of these are just examples of that are true for any industry, regardless of where you are. You brought up an interesting point there that you know, if you do have a relationship and you experience something, you know, with first responders, the police or the fire, you know, when you call, they know that if you're calling, this is serious. You know, because exactly. you've built that relationship and you don't lose that time trying to figure out, is this a hoax? You know, are you who you say you are? You know, which exactly. could put, you know, your office or people in danger. Exactly right. Absolutely. Exactly right. Then, you know, then there's a, here, let me give you another example that has to do with uh, how do you respond to, how, how do you respond to, uh, uh, to disasters and problems and, and crisis? You need the, the best practice when I call, call for in my book is having two separate teams, one dealing with the business and one dealing with the people. It's a, when you have something bad happening, you, you need to deal with both. You need to get you know, uh, the business back on, uh, online because otherwise there's no revenue and everybody will go home. But you need to take care of the people. In many of these cases... Take, for example, Katerina. During Katerina, many companies didn't know where their employees are. They were all over the place. Procter & Gamble had a plant, in uh, a coffee plant in uh, um, New Orleans, and people were all over the place. But they were able yeah. to communicate with everybody. And furthermore, they, had, they prepared before 
a protocol for what they provide. So, for, for example, they made the decision beforehand, they provide, in this case, a continuity of pay. And this was very helpful, of course, for people to know the company will keep paying them while they're yeah. in Texas or, you know, trying. They, I, I, you know, in some cases, companies make sure that the family is okay. Again, taking care of, uh, taking care of employees. For example, companies who work on uh, oil platforms in the, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, when there's a hurricane coming, you know, they, have, they want the employee actually to stay on the platform, to button down the platform and make sure that there's no damage. But to do it, the you know, employee would worry about their, um, their families. So every yeah. employee on the platform, they know exactly where they live, who their family are, and they send team to help the families so the employees could stay and, uh, and work on the platform. And this, the, the team that's dealing with the employees, and the team that's dealing with the business should be two separate teams. There's one team that will work on getting the business back up, you know, whatever whatever needs to be done, getting, you know, uh, drying out the plant from flood or whatever it is. Yeah. This this system should be totally separate from the system we deal with uh, with employees because you don't want to make trade-offs between them. And good companies operate this way. They have two separate systems, two separate Efforts. One focus on employees. One focus on uh, um, on the business. So again, preparing for this, understanding what you want to do ahead of time, having some. What you don't want to have is having. Okay, something bad happened. There's a committee of people, and everybody has a different opinion. What should we do? What should we not do? What we can afford? What we can. Time is of essence in this case, and you better make many of these decisions as far ahead of time as possible. So this yes. is another something that one should do regardless of the industry that you are in. Because you may be in, a, you think you are in a, you know, a commodity trading industry and then 9-11 comes. You, you don't yeah. think you are doing anything dangerous, but hey, danger comes in all kinds of ways. That's so, true. <laughs> uh, so you want to get prepared. You want to have some, some idea of what you do. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our first segment. Uh, we're talking today with Professor Yossi Sheffi, the author of The Power of Resilience, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild and Your Dog with expert author and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected and welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Professor Yossi Sheffi and his book, The Power of Resilience, How the Best Companies Manage the Unexpected. Professor, um, I'd like to start off with how you begin uh, one of your, uh, well, it's actually in one of your chapters, the, the, un, the known unknowns and unknown unknowns, which um, was, oh, I, remember, yeah. I remember, which was a, from Donald Rumsfeld back in 2002 here. I had to check it back in your book to make sure I had the dates right. Where, you know, they had this really bizarre quote and everyone was just kind of, what is he talking about? You know, so what is meant by known unknowns and unknown unknowns? Okay. Let me first of all... Uh Read you the quote. The, the, the actual quote is, there are known unknowns, because he explains it when he says, he says, there are known unknowns. These are things that we know that we know. You know, we know that something is going to happen. For example, there's a hurricane coming. We see it three days ahead. We know it will hit. There are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we know we don't know. Talk again about a hurricane. We know it's going to hit, but we don't know exactly where it's going to hit. It may change. But there are also, what he says is unknown unknown. There are things that we don't know that we don't know. He was talking about things that uh, we cannot even imagine, things that uh, never happened in uh, in the history to our company, to other company, to other nation. For example... 9-11. 9-11 what uh, is unknown unknown, that, that, that people will, will do something like this. It was not even in the imagination of defense planners in the United States. Uh, the sure. fact that, yeah. uh, you know, Chernobyl plant, you know, went up in smoke and, and contaminated part of Ukraine and part of Europe. Again, we didn't know that we didn't know that we, we didn't even know that we don't know. There was no, yeah. nothing on our radar that something like this could happen. Because, for think, for example, we know that there are terrorists who are planning to attack the United States. So we know that there are terrorists. We just don't know where, we don't know when. But we don't even think that an asteroid may hit Chicago. I, I'm just saying something out of the, you know, that we don't even think about. Uh, right. That's what you mean by unknown, unknown, something out of the realm that we don't even think about them. So that's basically what what he was talking about. So how, how do you it, how do you kind of you know plan for things like that? You know, because you okay. from from that uh, description that you provide in the book, you move on into um, causes, likelihood, and you know the what if analysis. 
How far do yes. you go down you know, the what-if analysis okay. if there are things you don't know that you don't know? Okay. Let me first say before I even go there, and we'll talk about... I, uh, okay, well, actually, we can start with this. Um, I talk about two ways to look at disruptions or crisis. One of them is causes, whether they're random phenomena like... Uh, uh, you know, natural disasters. Some of them are accidents, you know, problems. Right. Some of them are government and politics. We live in the middle of Brexit and uh, trade uh, trade tension with uh, uh, with China. Some of them are non-compliance. We do something and suddenly some agency says you are wrong, there's a big fine. Um, could be competition. Some, some other product comes from left field and our product becomes, you know, goes down. Uh, it could be that the whole economy goes down, of course. It could be uh, what happened in, in 2008. It could be uh, what's called social discontent, that uh, you start being attacked by the fact that you are have fat in your, uh, in your product or you're using uh, animal for, uh, for testing. And then, of course, there are what's called intentional disruption. Mostly uh, we're talking about terrorists, but it could be also here. GM is now in the middle of a, a strike. And uh, that's an intentional disruption by the UAW, the uh, United Auto Worker, uh, of the company. So these are causes. But then you can look just at effects. For example, you cannot make stuff. If it happened because of a a strike, if it happened because you had a fire in the plant, if it happened because there's some trade tension, it doesn't matter. You cannot make stuff or, you know... You cannot communicate because the internet went down or the power went down. It doesn't matter what um, what the underlying cause was, but there's effect. Something happened. So the important thing is that the, the causes are helpful because you can, for the causes, you can get some statistical analysis. The government will give you the, the frequency of floods and hurricanes and earthquakes, for example, every part of the world uh, will have it. We know how to deal with accidents, uh, pay attention to small stuff, so not get to the, uh, to the bigger stuff. But we still, we don't know if there's a flood, what does it mean for the business? Separately, you can look at what happens if we lose this supply, that supply, uh, this supplier, that supplier, if we cannot uh, move stuff through the borders. These are the effects and with effect, you see what is the uh, impact on the business. And they come right. together in that usually companies draw a map of two uh, axes. One of them is the likelihood, and you can me- measure likelihood through the causes because you have the frequency of event. And the other one is if something happened, what's the effect? And usually companies prioritize possible events along this uh, two-dimensional uh, um, map. Uh, map if you will. the effect are are actually the what if analysis what if we lose a shipment what if uh, uh, we lose uh, important personnel what if there's unavailable credit uh, these are the type of uh, what if events now one thing coming back to what we talked before but uh, Donald Rumsfeld and all of this one has to remember that when we talk about the um, uh, likelihood, for example, statistical reasoning is based on history. 
uh, and the imagination is always bound by the largest past event. At the same time, the complexity of the modern world increases the chance of unknown unknown, of things that are not in any list, that did not happen, uh, happen before. So one just has to remember that the lack of evidence of a disruption doesn't, is not the same as evidence of lack of disruption. That, uh, you know, things can, can hit one from left field with uh, mm-hmm. things that people don't expect. And these are the scariest things because you can think about effects and prepare for them for specific things. For example, Cisco has 18 playbooks or 18 types of disruptions and what to do uh, in each of them. But in addition, in addition, because of the unknown unknown, you do the general preparation that we talked about before without even knowing what you are prepared for. So having right. this, you know, the right culture, having um, being able to stand up quickly an emergency operations center, these are the things that, you, that are generic, that it doesn't matter which industry and which disruption. Well, I have a question for you because we, we mentioned the, the what ifs. Is there a danger of going down a rabbit hole, you know, with too many what ifs that, you know, it's just, it takes your focus away from the key items you really should be focusing on. I I don't know about you. I've, I've been in meetings where so many people just throw out, yeah, what about this? What about that? What if this, what if that, that you kind of lose focus? Is is there a danger of focusing on on too much? It's a very good question. A very good question. And you get to a, you know, paralysis by analysis, that you just yes, start thinking yes. about all, all, these, all these things and, uh, and do nothing. This is why when I talk to boards, when I talk about uh, the company, I said the first thing that you should focus on is things that are not specific to any disruption. Things that have to do with the... Uh, Things that we talked about before, the emergency operations center, the ability of, uh, of frontline people uh, um, uh, to respond, what do you do in terms of uh, continuity of pay, what do you do for your employees. This, I think, doesn't matter what the disruption is. You should, first of all, do this. Then you want, to me, I would not even focus on what are we doing then, what are we doing then. You, you, you game. You, you, you do good companies do once a quarter, once a year. Um, you know, an exercise of uh, yeah. one type of disruption and see how the system responds and then learn from this and get better rather than start preparing for a hundred times, a hundred, a thousand types of, of disruption that can happen because this is endless. So I, you're absolutely right. That's, so that's you, how you, I, uh, I, I, I tell my, my customers what to do. <laughs> so you kind of focus on the basics first, and then you'll be able to yes. hopefully adapt to to a new exactly. set of audience, like something to build upon, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. Great. Well, later on in your book, you talk about something called chart the white space. What's What do you yeah. mean by that? <laughs> okay, this was uh, out of... Um, Experience that I with General Motors, how they respond to the uh, to the Japan disaster for them. What happened is they they couldn't build cars. They had lots of uh, they had thousands of parts that couldn't didn't come to the assembly plant, and you cannot build a car if, even if one part is missing. You need all the parts. 
So what they did, they had a system, and it was a, a, a chart with uh, um, dates on the top and the number of the, the assembly plant on the left side. And then it was like a timeline. At the beginning was how much inventory we already have. So this was the green from, from day one until how long our inventory would last and we can still build cars. On the right-hand side was when do we estimate the we can find out different suppliers and qualify them because you cannot just put something into a car. It has to be qualified, engineering qualified. So the engineer would estimate when is the earliest day that we can qualify after which we'll be green again. But between them, there was a gap, a gap of, uh, no, we, of course, uh, the logistics people are trying to find inventory, existing inventory, qualified inventory everywhere they could, and the engineers were trying to bring forward as much as they could the time that new parts will be qualified. But between them was the white space. That's the, the gap mm-hmm. during which we will not be able to perform and we will not be able to build certain uh, center products. So this is this was called the white space. It's a... It was on, on maps all over the, uh, the emergency operations center of GM, and this is how, how they work. They try to move, to find more inventory and to move the left towards the right and qualify as early as possible by the, engine, the engineers and move from the, uh, from the right towards the left and close the, uh, the gap, which was the white space. That sounds like an exercise, um, well, n- not just you know, your example, but many organizations should kind of incorporate or adopt. Is it, would that be fair in saying? Uh, they do it. It's just not every organization calls it by the same name. But everybody, uh, true, yeah. every, true. every organization makes product does exactly this. So uh, it's just I like GM because they had a, a nice chart and, you know, it was <laughs> a, it had hourly actually. And this is the chart that went to all the executives, and uh, it, it was a dashboard, and they worked with this dashboard, so everybody was on the same page. But that, a version, I, I go ahead. I said uh, every company is doing a version of this. Well, I, I certainly hope they're doing something like that because that that makes sense, yeah. and I, I like your point about dashboards. Uh, you know, a, a one-page view really helps executives and decision makers know where they are and what they need to focus on. Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly the, you know, the rationale for doing this. You mentioned something um, uh, about the uh, the parts that are, you know, with the strike that's happening right now as we speak uh, with the yeah. uh, un- car workers. Um, as of this morning, how you were saying that there can be other effects, you know, unknown effects or, or you know, ripple effects. <laughs> The uh, car plant that's not far away from where I live uh, announced breaking news uh, not too long ago that they're shutting down shifts because of that strike. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and, and because of this, their suppliers will have to shut down. And because of yep. this, some dealers will have problems. It's uh, it's spreading. It's uh, because of su- because of the way supply chain are built. So their supplier will suffer, and the supplier supplier will suffer. They all start cutting down shifts. They all start laying off people. That's uh, and and in most of these cases, just so you understand, for every automotive assembly plant, 
There are in the United States seven to eight other people who work to supply parts to this plant. So this can be this can get ugly. Yes. Depending how long yeah. it lasts. Yeah, it's. I agree with you. It's going to get uglier before it gets better. Well, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we're talking with Professor Yossi Sheffi, the author of The Power of Resilience, How the Best Companies Manage the Unexpected, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show for our last segment. Today we are talking with Professor Yossi Sheffi and his book, The Power of Resilience, How the Best Companies Manage the Unexpected. Uh, Professor, in your book, you talk about resilient enterprises and redundancy and flexibility. Can you explain what you mean by redundancy and flexibility? And the reason I ask that is because I actually know someone who uses the term redundancy and resiliency almost in the same way. Well, okay, I don't, because <laughs> <I do. laughs> the, the base, just so we know where we stand, right? Um, the, basic, um, the basic way to create bouncing back, the ability to bounce back, are two. One is redundancy. So, for example, if you have, in, in business, if you have lots of inventory, um, for example, the post office recalled that after 9-11 we had the anthrax attack. 
and the post office had several of its largest uh, centers closed because of the anthrax, like the center in Brentwood in uh, uh, next to Washington, D.C., that handled all the mail in and out of D.C., was closed. Two people died there due to, due to the anthrax attack. Yet the mail kept coming. Why? Because there is so much redundancy in the system because over the years we had faxes and email and, uh, you know, online, uh, online communication. So the volume of mail has been going down for years. Yet the number of, uh, the size of the system has not gone down at the same rate. So it's a, it's a huge redundancy in the system, which helped, of course, because they could continue working. They could route around the, 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 uh, the center that were, that were hit. Unfortunately, for many commercial companies, it's not a good solution because it's expensive and they become less competitive by keeping, for example, a lot of inventory because if these uh, crises are infrequent, and if they happen, they require huge amount of inventory. So you have to keep a lot of inventory for a long time. It's just not commercially viable. The other, so you, you, need some, you always need some inventory because the immediate inventory helps you catch your breath, just what to do next. The other, ability, the other thing that I'm talking about is flexibility. Flexibility is rooted in the ability to change, in interchangeability. So, for example, it's best uh, explained to example. So, Intel, for example, has a policy that's called copy exec. Every every um, plant, every chip making plant of inventory is identical. They have it's identically positioned relative to the sun. The, the colors of the uh, uh, hoses are, are are identical. Why is why they're building all of them identically? Because well, they do because in the old day of uh, of making chips, they had to sometimes got a lot of big, you know, a large yield from a wafer, and sometimes a low yield. And in this business, it's the difference between making a lot of money and losing a lot of money. So once they got it right, management told the engineer, "Okay, copy this structure around the world." During the uh, uh, you know. During the SARS epidemic, for example, they had to close the plant in, uh, in Indonesia, but it was easy to move stuff around because every plant is the same. Or if you had, uh, you know, some, some companies have production lines that can make multiple products on the same production line. Demand may go up, may go down, may disappear for one product, but the line doesn't stop because you can make other products on, uh, on the same line. Uh, many other examples. Um, that are last example. Last example is uh, Hewlett Packard makes uh, printers for for Europe, and they used to make you know Polish printer, English printers, Slovak printers, Italian printer. Invariably, they got stuck with too many French printer and other enough Swedish printers. So they so they changed the system. They put all the printers, what they call vanilla printers, in a warehouse in uh, uh, in Holland. And then when they get an order from a particular country, they re- redesign the package and they put in the right power supply. They, they didn't even open the package through a door on the side. They throw in the right prong. They throw in the right uh, user manual. And they throw in the right decals um, that go on, uh, on the printer. Now, this, of course, is a, 
uh, allow them, let's say there's a strike in France, which admittedly is not a low probability event, but you don't get <laughs> stuck with French printers uh, because the printers are identical. You just, you can send the printer anywhere, uh, anywhere you want. So you get the flexibility of not committing too early to the, uh, to the type of, to the, to the country, to the retailer that you are selling to. So if something happened, you can repurpose uh, stuff. That's the essence of, uh, of flexibility, interchangeability, repurposing uh, stuff. So you have to build it into your system, into your supply chain. Mm-hmm. Ah, makes sense. So let, I want to jump to a, a subject I want, I want to hear your opinion on. Um, why do we need to be aware of shifting ethics? Now, I know you talk about that in your oh, book. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. So uh, because companies are now, let's, let's go step, step back. One of the things that companies are doing is that they are, in order to be more resilient, they make sure that, you have, that they have two or three suppliers for every part. It's one way to do it, to have a so-called dual sourcing or multiple sourcing. So you don't you don't rely on one supplier or one plant to uh, to supply with something. So if something happens, you can go to other plants. You reduce the risk. You reduce one risk, but you increase another risk because in today's um, climate, it's enough that one of your deep tier supplier in China. We, somebody will find out that they pollute the local river or use slave labor or don't pay overtime or, you know, you know, use a lot of plastic and throw it to the, uh, to the local river. And you, several stages removed, will be implicated. And you will have a customer boycotting your product. You will have customers uh, disrupting your, uh, your meetings even. And this is what many of the NGOs, this is some of the tactics of many of the, uh, of the NGOs. When they found out that Nestle uh, has palm oil in its product, and by the way, you need a microscope to see the palm oil in a the product, they, Greenpeace, launched an attack on, on KitKat, on the uh, chocolate bar that, uh, uh-huh. that Nestle is doing. Pretty gruesome attack and also, you know, disrupted company events, disrupted shareholder meetings, and they cause reduction in, in, in the sales. So this is what I'm meaning of shifting ethics, the sensitivity of, uh, of, uh, of people, and especially the media that amplifies all this to something that happens many cases without your control. I'm not even talking about the case that you are doing something bad like Volkswagen. That's... Yeah. You know, Volkswagen, you know, when they were cheating on, uh, on their mission, they were outright cheating. It caused about a reduction of a third in the price of, their, of the stock. Uh, you really don't want that. But you have to be more sensitive than that. I'm not assuming that most companies are not cheating, but they may have deep in the supply chain suppliers that are, doing, that are subject to different rules and regulations and not subject to the sensitivity of Western consumers. So... You know, if you have Chinese that are something in China, in Malaysia, somewhere that are, or in Africa, that are using child labor or, or, or whatever, the local government may not see it as a big deal, but your customers in Europe, in the United States, 
may punish you. And that's why, I mean, the ethics are become people are more and more uh, sensitive to this, and the media is more and more sensitive to this. So it can be a problem if you don't pay attention to it. So how, how do how do you address that? You know, I, I have my own company. Yeah. How do I know that a supplier seven steps removed could implicate me? You know, how do you go about that? You any suggestions? Yeah, not not easy, but yes, there are ways. You can more or less, you can do something about your tier one supplier, one step removed. These are the people that uh, you buy from. You uh, you communicate. You know who they are. The problem right. with the deep deep supplier, seven stage removed, as you say, is that in many times you don't even know who they are. Uh, yeah. But they, and, and, and even if you know who they are, they they don't have pay attention to you. They don't have relationship with you. <laughs> They're not going to do what you ask them to do. Uh, companies who were in this situation, like Intel, when they had to deal with conflict mineral, they were going to the smelters, which was about level six removed from them, because beyond the smelters of uh, of the uh, conflict mineral, you don't know where which mine it came from, from the Congo or whatever. Uh, so what they did, they joined, they actually put together an industry consortium of about 400 companies who are using, who are involved in chip making and related uh, processes, and together they went to the, to the smelter. So the, the same thing happened with palm oil. Individual companies can do very little because palm oil is so far in the supply, so far back in the supply chain that each company buys very little. Uh, but there are several um, associations of users of, uh, of palm oil who can influence what the palm oil, what the farmers are doing in the field and what the large, large buyers of farm oil, companies like uh, Faldeta and Sam Darby in Malaysia, how they treat their, um, the, uh, the farmers who run uh, who run the plantation and can right. get uh, a can get sustainable uh, oil from them, but b most importantly they can prevent them from slash and burn from burning a virgin forest in order to create land that they can grow the palm oil on. So, but they got it through the whole industry or a large group of companies working together. It's very, very it's very impossible for a single company to do anything about it. Ah, uh, I see. Well, believe it or not, we only have about three minutes left. Do you want to take a minute and a half, two minutes, and give some closing comments on you know, your thoughts on the power of resilience and where things should be going? Okay, um, Sure. I think that the, the most important thing is realize that we live in a more and more complex world. The, um, some of the dangers like cybersecurity are now looming very, very large, uh, either from um, state actors or from just criminals. It's a huge issue that uh, every company has to make sure that its uh, defenses are as good as possible because this is something that is very expensive, destroy reputation. Another attention, this is for large companies, many should be paid by, again, the shifting sentiment. In Europe, issues of, of, of privacy get them to find, to, uh, find um Google, $5.1 billion, and now they're looking at other companies. Uh, when companies grow big, like Amazon, it's the start subject. They, they become subject to uh, the Justice Department looking at um, uh, their impact on competition. So uh, to me, 
things can come from, uh, problem can come from a variety of vectors. Um, and one does not have to forget the hurricanes and floods and earthquakes and the uh, terrorist acts, which are always with us. Lastly, paying, one is paying attention to the political landscape, because what we are seeing now with uh, China and Brexit is the supply chain are changing and people are, you know, running around and trying to uh, restructure supply chain, on, you know, very quickly. Anyway, right. let's stop here. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Professor. Um, I want to remind everyone of Professor Yossi's book, the, uh, sorry, Yossi Sheffi's book, The Power of Resilience, How the Best Companies Manage the Unexpected. There's a lot of great information in here. Um, please check it out. Uh, so, Professor, thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today. Thank you very much for allowing me to do it. Great. Uh, well, I'm glad you came on the show. And to everyone listening out there, again, if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, please feel free, send me an email. Or uh, if there's uh, advertising you want to talk about a relatable product or service, please feel free, get in touch with me for sponsorships. And uh, I'd like to thank everyone at uh, boastassessment.com for their sponsorship and helping us uh, put the show on the air. And in the meantime... Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.